welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. Welcome back to the After the Bell podcast. Georgie here, Director of Learning and Development. I'm returning to focus on our new series of podcasts are Andy Bridge, a current deputy head teacher, and Debbie Davis, head teacher of an independent special school and experienced SENCO. Year on year, the number of students identifying as having special educational needs and disabilities is increasing. and is currently around 15% of the overall school population. Nationally, outcomes of students with SEND are concerningly low, with the performance gap at the end of year 11 increasing over a number of years. It isn't just academic outcomes that are concerned, though. Research shows that the well-being of students with SEN are worrying, with these learners likely to be less happy and also less likely to progress onto further education or employment compared to their students and counterparts. Schools often describe themselves as inclusive, but what does this really mean? And what does it look like when schools get this right? In today's podcast, we explore the culture and practices that need to be in place for all students, including those with SEND, to feel safe, secure and to be able to thrive academically, personally and socially. So this is the uh, golden aspiration for all educational environments, isn't it, Debbie? So we hear a lot of talk about inclusive schools. What does that actually mean? Hi, Georgie. Hi, Andy. Um, to hi, uh, to understand this term, we need to go back to 1994 um, at the World Conference for Special Educational Needs in Salamanca, Spain. 92 governments and 25 international organisations met to find a way forward with SEND and they all agreed to make inclusion the norm for students with SEND. According to the Salamanca statement, the functional that the fund pardon me the fundamental pr- uh, principle of the inclusive school is that all children should learn together where possible and that ordinary schools must recognize and respond to the diverse needs of their students while also having a continuum of support and services to match these needs inclusive schools are the most effective at building solidarity between children with special needs and their peers. It does make a lot of sense actually and and that's really interesting that it's gone back that far Um, and it would be nice to think that we've made such a difference already but um, that's 28 years ago if my math serves me right so Andy, we know that the EEF's first recommendation for getting SEND right in the mainstream classroom is to create a positive and supportive classroom environment for all people without exception. You're in sort of the classroom environment. What does this look like when schools get their commitment to inclusion right? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, like going back to that Salamanca statement, which said 28 years ago, I think we have made a lot of progress since then because Prior to that, the norm was if a student was deemed to have some kind of special educational need, then they should be in a special school. Like Automatically, they don't fit the norm, that they're not quite mainstream, put them in a special school. Whereas we have actually gone a long way to what's including a lot of students with SEND in the mainstream school. As you said, we've still got work to do on getting the achievement gap closed and 
um, making sure that the experiences of some of those students with SEND are as successful as they can be. But, you know, we've definitely made progress with it. Um, I think for me, schools aren't accidentally inclusive. Like if you want to do this, you've got to make a real commitment that inclusion is going to be at the centre of every decision that you make and that you're going to put inclusion at the, the heart of your school's priorities and your development plan, really. So it's no good just saying, oh, well, we've got Senko or we've got some TAs that work with students with SEND. Actually, it's every it's every piece of language, it's activities, it's routines, it's it's what goes on in the classroom, it's what happens at break time and lunchtime, all of those things together. They come together to make that inclusive environment. So, you know, as I said, it's not just about providing those send it interventions, but actually what does every single interaction between an adult and a child look like in school? How do we create really positive staff and student relationships? And all of those things, they'll they'll go a huge way towards helping students with SEND to feel safe and make sure they thrive and then the academic outcomes will follow as well. So, if we're, you know, we're going to look at creating that positive environment for all pupils, positive relationships, active engagement, giving those students the best possible teaching and promoting like really positive behaviour for learning as well. Thank you, Andy. It sounds like a uh, golden panacea isn't it it's that it's that the aspiration what we we're hopefully achieving and striving for but sadly that's not always the case is it debbie and and what what about the opposite what can this look like if schools get it wrong well students with send are already significantly vulnerable to underachievement so if schools don't get it right it can be a, a disaster positive outcomes include, stu uh, include students with SEND not feeling safe or welcome, not making academic progress and failing to meet the outcomes in their EHCP, or even attendance uh, falling and students opting not to access their education at all. So that's really significant. In my experience, though, there are very few schools that actually deliberately uh, try not to be inclusive. I mean, it would be unforgivable uh, if, if we weren't working towards being inclusive. So usually when this isn't achieved, it, it's a result of misguidance rather than being deliberately anti-inclusive. For example, we know that the, um, the largest observational research pro uh, project in the UK found that in primary schools, children with the HCPs had around 25% of their week separated from their teacher and peers. 25% of their week. They, they're usually in interventions with teaching assistants, but this means that they are not part of the mainstream school, but they're not fully involved in, in many cases. And this would mean a large part of their week is less um, qualified or less with less qualified or inexperienced staff. And we really need to ensure that pupils are included in the best teaching that we can offer. And I know I've mentioned that before. That's really helpful, Debbie. And, and like you said, 25% of your week is massive. So um, again, that, that needs to be uh, reduced significantly. So Andy, presumably if these students were being withdrawn by a TA to be taken away to sort of focus on different activities. This is because the school's trying to provide something really bespoke and personal to support that particular child. It, 
is that not a good thing that they're trying to do that? Do you know, there definitely is a place for those interventions. Um, but as we've said before, there are big risks with students being withdrawn from mainstream lessons. So as Debbie said, quite often delivering those interventions is a less experienced or a less qualified member of staff. Um, and if that's 25% of your week, then that's going to have a big impact. But also, if students are withdrawn for 25% of their week from their normal lessons, then they're missing the content that the rest of the class are accessing and they're going to end up in this cycle of constantly being behind or they end up with a very narrow curriculum where they only study English and maths and then they're missing out on that really varied broad curriculum diet that the other students are accessing. So we need to find a way of wherever possible keeping students with send in that mainstream classroom but making the learning accessible to them rather than removing them and doing something different. So it might be that the student can be in the mainstream classroom, but they just need some extra help. They need some sentence starters so they can start a writing task or it, instead of answering your question in front of the whole class, they might share their answer with a peer so they can still access the task, and still meet the same curricular goal, providing a little bit of scaffolding to help them get there. Because um, the alternative of removing them and doing something one to one. Yes, it sounds helpful. Yes, it sounds bespoke. Actually, then they're, they're missing high quality teacher input. Debbie, have you got anything to add from that from um, Andy's sort of comments there? Because absolutely everything he's saying makes complete sense. It, it really does. And as Andy's speaking, I can actually see it happening in the class when I've observed lessons. Um, it's, it's given lots of examples there of scaffolding that we can provide to include students with send in the classroom. I would just add that it doesn't need to be something that creates workload for teachers necessarily. For, for example, we can promote inclusion by being really considerate and careful about our seating plans, for example. Make sure the pupil with send can hear the instructions clearly without interference. If hearing is better in one ear than the other, you know, just just sit them with the ear towards the teacher. Um, just ensure that pupils can see your face even when you move to a different position. Check out that pupils have a clear view of the board, uh, worksheets and visual aids. And, and really interestingly, you know, ensure that the lighting is adequate and minimizing any glare or reflections these are just ideas and these are what i've seen in practice when i have had the opportunity to to see teachers delivering and none of these strategies cause any extra work that they don't cost any extra time or resources but could make a massive difference to the ability of a student with with send to fully be able to engage in the lesson and make maximum progress. So we're coming back to the idea of being that very, very deep, inclusive practice. It, it certainly feels like a, a, it makes it much more accessible for a student with SENS. And that makes a lot of sense and it's so easy to implement. So we've talked a lot about teaching and learning. But what about behaviour? Clearly not all, but some students with SEND may struggle to regulate their behaviour at times, which could then negatively affect progress. Andy, how, how can schools support students with SEND to manage their behaviour really effectively? Yeah, do you know, I think that's important that you just said there, like not all students with SEND will struggle with behaviour in the slightest. They might be absolutely 
perfectly well behaved at all times and their SEN need could be something totally different. But of course, there will be some students with SEN that struggle with behaviour. Um, and th there's some quite straightforward things that we can do. So there's really clear evidence that schools that have got a really proactive, positive behaviour policy in place significantly reduce the amount of disruptive behaviour incidents. Um, and where that re works really well, according to the research, is where schools have got a really clear and tangible rewards policy alongside the behaviour policy. So we're encouraging, we're motivating students, we're rewarding the excellent behaviour rather than just focusing on the, the punitive and the punishment. Um, and actually, I think sometimes we assume that students know how to behave well, but actually it's worth saying that we need to teach students what positive behaviour in a classroom looks like. We need to model that explicitly and really persevere with that positive behaviour. Whether that is demonstrating how you pay attention to the teacher or how you persevere with a really difficult task and you build that resilience. Students don't necessarily just know those things automatically, like they need us to tell them and model it to them. I think that's a really key point there, Andy, absolutely. And and Debbie, what, what about if a student does need something more specific than this? I I think it all comes back to relationships that, that Andy has, has mentioned. And I would recommend just getting to know the student really well so you can understand how they might need help and what you have to do to overcome any particular difficulties or barriers. So, for instance, if a student becomes disengaged or disruptive, it could be because part of our lesson is just too challenging and they struggle to communicate with, with the, uh, this to you. So in this instance, the teacher could break down the tasks into smaller steps and be really clear um, and unambiguous language should be used. Um, there is a careful balance between maintaining really high expectations for students with, with SEND, but also making sure we give them all the best support that they need. So I guess for me, build your relationships, build the trust, and make sure that your planning is exact for their needs. So then they, there's no way that they can't access the learning and then revert to behaviours as a, as a way to express how they're feeling. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Debbie. Great discussions as always. In next week's podcast, we will look at the SEND Code of Practice, which describes four broad areas of need. And how, in reality, though, many students will not neatly fit into one of these categories. We will discuss how we can really get to know our students so that our provision becomes tailored to their specific needs. You can pick up our After the Bell podcasts, which are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational and access these on your daily commute, walking the dog, on your treadmill or as your focus for the day. Thank you for listening to After the Bell.